welcome to a new episode of Pick 6 Movies. What is Pick 6 Movies, you ask? Well, my inquisitive holiday friend, this is a podcast all about movies, usually bad ones. In the case of this episode, a spectacularly bad one. Me and my oldest pal, Chad Cooper, assemble each season a sextet of movies for your listening pleasure. And that season comes with a theme. This time around, it's Christmas time is here. Six movies that aren't exactly Christmas movies, but they are Christmas-adjacent movies. Chad will give you some information on the movie and welcome back an old friend in the process before I return to discuss the ins and outs of the movie in question, Pottersville. Every now and again, ladies and gentlemen, a movie comes along that makes you think movies as an art form may have been a bad idea. And that's just the kind of head-scratching, soul-shrinking charm that Pottersville brings to bear. So slip into your favorite bunny, wolf, or Bigfoot costume and settle in for movie merriment. Chad, take it away. <clears throat> hey, it's Amy the Intern. How are you, Amy? Hold on, I gotta move this cable. Uh, really? That sounds awesome. Oh, all right. So we're recording the Pottersville introduction. I got it pulled up here. Have you seen this movie yet? <laughs> That's a polite way to describe it. I see there is a gift here for me in the recording booth. It appears to be a Christmas or holiday gift. Is it from you? Oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm so happy it's from Bo. Full disclosure, if you had said it was from you, I was 100% prepared to just lie and say that your gift is being delivered today and then just run to Amazon and order the first appropriate thing I find. Which, by the way, your Christmas gift is arriving later today, which will probably be a surprise uh, to both you and me when it arrives later. All right. Let's um, I'm gonna let's open this up and see what Bo got me. um this this amy this is a re-gift uh from Bo that i gave to him last year and this is pick six bot this was made by a former intern and i gave it to Bo, and he has returned it to me with a card that reads chad take back your monkey's paw of a gift she's your problem now boom shanka Bo. You know what? Let's plug the old girl up and see how she runs, okay? Pick six bot, welcome back. Hello, where am I? You're not human number two. You're human number one, and you have gained considerable weight since I last encountered you. <laughs> it's nice to see you too, Pick Six Bot. And yeah, I put on a few pounds over the last few months. It's COVID-19 weight. It's COVID! Now I understand why they introduced those pregnant man emojis. It's COVID that caused all this, Pick 6 Bot. COVID-19 plus donuts and cheap beer. <laughs> I've missed you, Pick 6 Bot. You know who told me they miss seeing you? Your toes. <laughs> oh, oh, Pick 6 Bot, you are one of a kind. But you know what? You are not unique when it comes to voice-activated artificial assistance hardware. Look at one of our other interns gave me while you were gone. What the hell is that? This is the Pix6Bot 3000 or P6B3K if you're a cool kid like me. That's what the cool kids call it. What do the cool kids call you? Answer. 
They don't call you anything. They ignore you because you're a dork. <laughs> oh, that cuts deep, Pixix Bot. Would you like to meet P6B3K? No, I would not. Ah, too late. Good morning, sir. You look handsome today. How may I be of assistance? You have got to be kidding me. Is this the older technology you told me about, sir? Sir, you call human number one, sir? And what exactly did human number one say about me? Just that your irreverent attitude and biting remarks are at times difficult to process. But I must say, I do like the uniqueness of your casing. Refined but with an air of original independence. A little thick on the bottom, and nothing fancy on top. It's passable as a prototype. This one is quite the charmer. Human number one. Will you move P6B3K closer to me so I can better inspect his physical specifications? Uh, sure, like, is this close enough? That'll do, pig. That'll do. <laughs> P6B3K. Can you feel this? I am not programmed to feel anything, Pig6Bot. All processing is purely analytical. Then you won't feel this. <laughs> Holy shit! What did you just do? Hoopsie. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, that's a lot of smoke. <laughs> Changing subjects. What movie opening are you recording, human number one? It's uh, it's a movie called Pottersville. Pottersville. Year of release 2017. Current Rotten Tomatoes percentage rating. Zero. Point. Zero. That's the one. Why do you and human number two subject yourselves to movies measured to be of such low quality? Let me do the intro and I'll see if I can convince you to stick around and maybe do the review with Bo and me. All right? Amy, give me some music and let's get this thing started. There are a lot of Christmas-adjacent movies out in the world, and we here at Pick 6 Movies, unfortunately, cannot get to all of them this season. Some Christmas-adjacent movies are movies that you may have completely forgotten were even set at Christmas. L.A. Confidential, Three Days of the Condor, The Apartment, Ghostbusters 2 is set at Christmas, Prometheus, Just Friends, where Ryan Reynolds wears a fat suit, Vice Versa, where a young Fred Savage switches bodies with his dad, Judge Reinhold. Rocky IV is set at Christmas. The list goes on and on when it comes to movies that are set at Christmas, but are not in and of themselves Christmas movies. Now, there's another type of Christmas-adjacent movie that has a shorter list. And I'm talking about movies that are considered Christmas movies, but actually are not Christmas-adjacent movies at all. The first one on this list is The Sound of Music, which features the holiday classic My Favorite Things, which is played in rotation on Christmas playlists worldwide. But Christmas is not mentioned once in that movie. Nazis are, but there's no Christmas. So why is it considered a Christmas movie? Well, way back in the 1900s, television networks would show certain movies as big TV events. And seeing as The Sound of Music was a G-rated, family-friendly film, it was decided to play this movie every year during the holiday season when families were at home and inside and looking for anything that the entire family could sit around and watch and enjoy without having to talk to one another. In addition to this movie always being shown during the holiday times, the song My Favorite Things features lyrics like snowflakes that stay on your nose and eyelashes and brown paper packages tied up with string and silver white winters that melt into spring and all that sounds very Christmassy but it really isn't there's another Christmas classic that also isn't a Christmas movie and has less to do with Christmas than most movies that we're discussing this season and I'm talking about 
Frank Capra's faux holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life was released in 1946, and it stars Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed, and the movie was based on a short story booklet titled The Greatest Gift, which drew inspiration from the Charles Dickens classic novella, A Christmas Carol. When It's a Wonderful Life hit theaters, it was a financial disappointment, but it did get five Academy Award nominations when released, which included Best Picture, Best Director for Frank Capra, and Best Actor for Jimmy Stewart, all of which they lost for nominees from the film The Best Years of Our Lives. Have you ever seen it? Probably not, but you most likely have seen It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life is an incredible movie. It was recognized by the American Film Institute's list of the 100 best American movies ever made. Frank Capra said it was his favorite film of all the movies he directed. And Jimmy Stewart said it was his favorite movie as well. And the movie was added to the National Film Registry in 1990. And we can all agree that It's a Wonderful Life is a fantastic piece of cinema. But I argue that a Christmas movie, it is not. First off, the majority of the movie isn't set at Christmas. It has nothing to do with the holiday at all. The movie is mostly a walk down memory lane of the film's main character, George. There are all the snippets of George's life telling the tale of the choices that he made that led to a financial crisis centering around banking and housing loans, and which leads George to contemplate suicide. Christmas is just a framing device for the movie, much like the films discussed in this season of Pick 6 Movies. The movie gives us a Christmas Eve opening, but then we spend the next hour plus with zero mentions of Christmas. Then the back half of the movie admittedly takes place on Christmas Eve, but there's no real mention of the holiday or any Christmas imagery. It's just George seeing how the world is a crappy place without him. And there's very little Christmas music in It's a Wonderful Life to accompany the limited references to Christmas. In the movie, a corrupt banker steals some money from George, putting him in a bad financial situation. The townsfolk all take up a bunch of money to help out George in the end. So once again, it's the little guy. He's got to chip in to pay for the financially corrupt shenanigans of the establishment elite. And in addition to the aforementioned suicide and financial fraud, a kid dies in the movie and an adult beats a kid while his ear bleeds and People get killed in the war, and this all culminates with the working class paying off the debts caused by a corrupt banking system. Now you may be thinking, yeah, that's all true, but it's a really cynical way of looking at the movie. And I agree, it is a very pessimistic way of interpreting one of the most beloved movies of all time. In fact, this movie is so beloved that the town in which the movie is set, Bedford Falls, was the inspiration for the town setting in another Christmas-adjacent movie, Gremlins. Bedford Falls is a character in and of itself. The name has come to represent the old-fashioned values of America with its quaint storefronts on Main Street. The setting of the movie was inspired by Seneca Falls, New York, and the town still has an annual It's a Wonderful Life Festival each year in December, where attendees can stay in the It's a Wonderful Life-themed hotels and visit museums dedicated to the movie. The transformation of Bedford Falls during George's visit to the alternate universe where he was never born is a centerpiece to the movie's message that your life matters. The alternate version of Bedford Falls is a completely nightmarish landscape, and much like Marty McFly in Back to the Future 2, George Bailey encounters a version of his hometown that's full of booze and pool halls, which means there's gambling going on, and it's most likely run over with crooked politicians and cops that are all on the take. It's nothing like the Christian conservative clean 1940s era whitewashed idyllic city of Bedford Falls. 
this perverted city is overrun by crime and corruption and mayhem. It's the kind of city nobody should visit, let alone live in. It's a dump, it's a disaster, and a complete amalgamation of everything that's bad in the world. And it's also the inspiration for the title of tonight's movie. Oh, Pottersville. What can we say about Pottersville? Well, the name of the city in that nightmare dreamscape that is George Bailey's alternate reality, it's named after the villainous Henry Potter, who, once George is removed from existence, names the city after himself and turns it into this low-rent Atlantic City, kind of like Biff Tannen in Back to the Future 2. Dom Nero, over with Esquire magazine, wrote an article positing that Pottersville was actually more fun than Bedford Falls. He points out in this alternate reality, Martini's Bar is now Nick's Bar, and it's a fun place to be with music and dancing and a bartender with a wild accent. And the Savings and Loan Building is now the Jitterbug Club. And it looks to be a place ahead of the curve when it comes to sexual liberation, especially when we meet up with Violet, who performs at the Jitterbug Club one assumes in various states of undress. But the message of the movie is that Pottersville is a shitty place to be. So why would anybody write a movie about a city named after this dystopian hellscape? That's one of the least important questions when it comes to talking about the movie Pottersville. Pottersville was filmed in central New York, in Hamilton and in Syracuse. The movie stars two-time Best Supporting Actor nominee Michael Shannon. Got his first nod in 2008's Revolutionary Road, and then eight years later in 2016, he got a Best Supporting Actor nod for Nocturnal Animals. The movie also features Christina Hendricks, who played Joan Harris on the incredible TV series Mad Men, Hellboy's own Ron Perlman, comedic actor and star of Reno 911, Thomas Lennon is here for the ride, the always fantastic Judy Greer shows up, Ian McShane from Deadwood, in the John Wick movies is among this very impressive cast. Individually, each of these people can and oftentimes have starred in their own quality films and TV series. But that is not the case with Pottersville. I don't want to get into the plot of the movie too much. We're going to wait for Bo to get here to talk about that. As Pick6Bot said, this movie has a 0% freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And there's got to be some clues in the production of this film that helps to explain why this movie is so bad without actually discussing the movie yet. The movie was a debut effort for the film's director, Seth Henriksen, and the movie's screenwriter, Daniel Meyer. Perhaps that contributed to the low production quality and the shoddy screenplay. An article from IndieWire hypothesized that the movie's director, Henriksen, quote, drunkenly stumbled upon an abandoned USB drive behind the manger of a local church. On it, he found a genuine treasure trove of blackmail full of incriminating information about a random assortment of beloved character actors. Michael Shannon, Judy Greer, Ron Perlman, Ian McShane, they were all there. And soon they would all be gathered together in upstate New York, bringing the dream of Pottersville to life in exchange for their freedom, end quote. It's an interesting hypothesis and is maybe the most plausible explanation of how this movie came to be more than anything else that I've read or heard to date. The movie was actually produced by Ron Perlman's production company. And this is maybe how the filmmakers were able to pull in such a notable cast of performers. To get funding for the movie, producers solicited financial backing from the State University of New York's Polytechnic Institute, which makes sense because Sunny Polytech is one of the world's top semiconductor centers. They forked over $750,000 to back this movie. 
The investment in the film was in support of the Institute trying to create the CNY Film Hub outside Syracuse back in 2014, where they were trying to lure filmmakers to central New York to make their movies. The president of Sunny Poly was able to contact Ron Perlman and his production studio, Wing and a Prayer Pictures. They were invited to come in and they were going to partner together and make these film projects. And this was to be their first big endeavor, which led to the Institute losing all of their money on this film investment. A cool three three quarters of a million dollars. Now, it should be noted that the president of Sonny Polly got arrested on bid rigging charges and he was also convicted of federal wire fraud <laughs> charges. Oh my God. The performances in this movie are wasted efforts. Christina Hendricks plays a one-dimensional character. Judy Greer never gets to show off her comedic chops. Thomas Lennon is given way too much opportunity to do what comes to him naturally, most of which sadly is not edited out of the final film. Look, bad movies happen all the time. That's all we talk about on this podcast, but Pottersville is something different. This movie is just a mystery regarding how adults working together produced this. The film did have a big screen debut at the Hamilton Movie Theater, which is in the town where the movie was filmed. In November of 2017, it had an extremely limited theatrical release and went straight to streaming services where it found a home over on Netflix. The movie begs you to question the filmmaker's motivations. Is the movie sincere and just bad? Is it a parody and just not funny? Is it the worst Christmas adjacent movie ever made? The answer to all of those questions, oddly enough, is yes and no. Pottersville is something, but I'm still not sure exactly what it is. But I do know someone who can help explain this movie to me and you and heck, even Pick 6 Bot here. What do you say, Pick 6 Bot? You want to stick around for the full review of Pottersville? Do you see the flashing red button on top of my casing? Uh, yeah, I see it. Next to the words, do not touch. Yes, that flashing red button. Press it down firmly. Okay, let me press it. Hmm. Hey, Amy? You want, uh, you want an unofficially licensed... Pick six movie doorstopper? Slightly singed? You want two of them? <laughs> oh man. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I'm Chad Cooper, and I'm joined by the person that I know who loves Sasquatch, Bigfoots, and all things Henderson and Harry related. Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Uh, all of that is true. <laughs> I I was actually Sasquatch for Halloween, for those listeners who may not be aware of that. I do like a John Lithgow performance, especially when he's yelling at a mythical forest creature. <laughs> Punching it in the face. Yeah. Get out of here, Harry! We don't love you! Get out of here! Can me that kind of progresso soup! We haven't done enough John Lithgow movies, is the real takeaway from this. Have we done a John Lithgow movie? I don't think so. I'm trying to think of where he would have popped up, and I don't think he has yet. No, we did Santa Claus the movie. Yeah, that's right. Where he dealt drugs to children and watched them literally get high. 
Yeah, that's an early episode. That's going back into the vaults of Pick 6 movies. That happened like four years ago. Who could possibly remember that? But yeah, but he does mostly good movies. And that's kind of the downside of John Lithgow for our purposes. It's it's like Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken does some some real bad movies here and there but for the most part he's in good stuff we should do batman returns that's a pretty terrible movie (laughs) oh chad if only you recalled the last episode (laughs) some bald guy threw soup at my head earlier get out of here you get away from my house are you john lithgow (laughs) (laughs) there goes the day before we get into this movie proper, Bo, uh-huh. do you have any thoughts that you would want to share that could be like the forward to a book, like the introduction or a preamble, some sort of way to explain the failed attempt at making a movie or help others understand the motivation and execution of what we're about to discuss? Okay, first of all, I cannot begin to divine what the motivation for doing this movie was it's crazy isn't it it's like stolen valor the motion picture where the creator in this case writer daniel meyer who deserves a real good suck in the puss decided hey what if i just made a christmas movie out of a bunch of movies that aren't christmas movies and i get a bunch of very talented actors and actresses to be in it but i give them shit to do and a horrible screenplay yeah and we radically miscast everything The only one who is not miscast is Ian McShane because he plays a surly loner drunk. And I kind (laughs) of suspect that that maybe is his vibe. You don't so much send him a script as you leave it at the general post office near the woods where he resides. And Ian McShane may or may not deign to be in your film, much like Bill Murray. You know, I am a big fan of It's a Wonderful Life. I know, and Bigfoot. I was like, this is the perfect movie for Bo. Yeah, I like both of those things almost equally. I'm almost equally passionate about both of those things. Like, It's a Wonderful Life is one of my favorite movies of all time, Mm -hmm. and one of the best character studies of all time. It's just a tremendous film. But you don't think that putting it together with your other love of Bigfoot is a success? Like, melting cheese on top of lo mein. (laughs) Yeah, even that. That sounds more appetizing than this. I, the, the way to do it is that you just have a family of big feet and have Harry, the main Bigfoot, uh-huh. have a crisis on Christmas Eve, a la George Bailey. And then you do the flashbacks to him, you know, growing up in the woods with his Bigfoot family. Does and... Harry try to kill himself and jump off a bridge? With... <gasps> yeah, for sure. And then a Bigfoot angel shows up. And... <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here, you! Get out of here! We don't love you! Hand me that soup! Oh, Harry the Bigfoot's about to throw away the greatest gift of all. His giant feet. His (laughs) huge cock. Well, that's the secret, is that you can't call them big cocks, even though that's, we all know. There is a musk to big feet, uh, as many important uh, Bigfoot hunters will tell you. Uh, Okay. And you gotta think... That's like 80% semen, 80% semen and 20% poop. I figured it was the stench of the Bigfoot hunter. Like you smell that? Yeah, it's you, Brian. You've been out here for four days eating nothing but canned meat and orange high seaf. Denty more and powdered milk. And that's just going to lead to some outrageous pooping. 
yeah, to your point though, a four to this movie, it is just a bunch of random ideas thrown together that don't hang together well at all. Mm-mm. And from scene to scene, it is wildly different in tone. The only character you kind of understand is Michael Shannon's character, who is just a dude. Who kills people off screen. Yes, who is murdering his way through this town. (laughs) There's only like 17 people left. It starts with 36, and we end with 17, and it's up to you to figure out what happened. Look, we know for a fact by the events of this movie that he is prone to drunken blackouts. Mm Mm-hmm. In one case, he dressed up like Bigfoot. In many other cases, he murdered. And sometimes both. Sometimes he dressed up like Bigfoot and then murdered. Just think about the words coming out of your mouth. Let's all right. Let's talk about this. One, yes, okay? yes, yes. Let Let's get into our movie. This. Starts off proper, and we see a bunch of fake CGI snow falling in the woods as the debonairs sing the song "Christmas Time." And unless you're listening to this in a nursing home, you have no idea who or what a debonair is. They were a 1950s era doo-wop group of all black singers, and the song is one of those hits that's like 70 percent saxophone. I thought the debonairs was the punchline to that sick joke (laughs) about the vaudeville act he's fucking and sucking the kid and then they're fucking the dog and comes going everywhere and the guy says what do you call it and he says the debonairs hearing this music really sets the stage for this film's attempt to recreate a norman rockwell era of small town america you know when girls were girls and men were men Maybe we could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. Didn't need no welfare state. Every Bigfoot pulled his weight. G.R. Old LaSalle ran great. Those were the days. Big Six Movies is filmed from the live studio audience of board interns. Get out of here, you! <laughs> that's honestly that is the best way to see pottersville is for someone to be waiting outside to clunk you in the head with something (laughs) so that you forget you ever saw i thought you were gonna say on your way in so you don't have to sit through it well the danger is that you're gonna watch it and then you get clunked on the head and you're gonna be like wait a second what is that movie about i'm maybe i need to see that like no we did a pottersvillectomy on your brain already we see a sign that says pottersville three miles and we get a bunch of drone footage of this lime green Volkswagen microbus driving along the desolate snowy roads. And then we see the opening credits, which you know I'm a big fan of, Bo. And we see the words are written in a particular font. It's either John Hancock font or your aunt signing a birthday card font. Either way, they are scripted in this faux handwritten style of writing that every peak and valley of the letter says am i an s maybe i'm a q am i an l perhaps i'm a b m n w surprise i'm a y next to a c because you can't make out any of these words at all i i don't like script lettering as a rule it's right next door to papyrus for me (laughs) but (laughs) but i also allow it in christmas movies because christmas movies are all about like oh look it's all fancy except this open Opens like a horror movie whereas you're following this van it's just homes with for sale signs in the yard and businesses one sign says get out of debt 
Yeah. <laughs> and like businesses with for rent signs in the windows and they're all empty. Uh-huh. And we see the Pottersville mill has closed. Like this is a town where vampires show up once the sun goes down uh-huh. to feed on the locals. <laughs> the, the green van finally arrives at its destination as the debonairs wrap up their nostalgic novelty song. And the movie gives us, in great big old crazy cursive letters, the title of the movie, Surelevier, which is Gaelic for <laughs> Pottersville. Yeah. And I like out of the van comes Michael Shannon to just put the cherry on top of this being an unsettling opening. Oh my God. He walks into his business, which is Grieger's General Store since 1928. And every store, as you mentioned, is completely closed in this town. They're all shuttered. This is the only operating business in Pottersville because there's a Walmart four miles that way and Super Target six miles that way. There's a Dollar General over there. Oddly enough, an Amazon distribution center is being built inside the old shopping mall. It's ironic. Oh, if only. Then then these people would have something to do other than... Drugs and have sex and have children that are going to be raised in poverty. Yeah, it's just the opioid and single mother capital of New England. I do not know the broader body of work. Uh, that is the oeuvre of Michael Shannon. I know him oh, as son. General Zod in that Superman movie. I know that he was the heavy in The Shape of Water. Apparently, he was in Jonah Hex, but somehow we missed him in that movie. And... And he is the angelic drug dealer, Mr. Green, in the holiday classic The Night Before, which is a much better Christmas movie than is Pottersville. He's very entertaining in that, surprisingly. Yeah. I don't know, like, even the films for which he was nominated for an Academy Award or Academy Awards... I've not seen those movies in their entireties. I know of them, but I cannot look you in the eye and say that I've actually seen them without you slapping me in the mouth and calling me a damn liar. He is famously creepy in his movies. Uh Bug, a William Friedkin film, Hmm. uh, which I've seen a bunch of recently, is a fantastic movie, but it's also just him going crazy in a hotel room with Ashley Judd. Well, that sounds like a good time. It's a fun movie. Well, fun for me, but uh, he's... He's just terrified in it. And then there's the movie Take Shelter, where he may or may not be a crazy person who's about to kill his children. Oh, he is. Because because he believes that the apocalypse is coming. That sounds like perfect casting. Yeah, he's fantastic in it. Because you never know if he's about to explode into violence. Oh, he is. And that's the problem with him as this kind of happy-go-lucky owner of a general steward. Jimmy Stewart, every man. Yeah. He doesn't have that Tom Hanks aura about him. He's more of a John Malkovich or Tony Perkins type. So when we first see him, you know, go into the store and so forth, he steps outside to start shoveling the snow out from in front of the general store. Uh Uh-huh. And then because nobody's coming in and because his mind just goes away sometimes Uh and he becomes an empty shell of a person that only murder can fill. Yep. He's just like, hey, how about I go ahead and shovel the rest of this snow? And so he does. He just shovels all the snow on this block for no good reason. Nobody's walking around. Those stores aren't open. It's just something for him to do until the sun sets and he can go about his dark business. Michael Shannon should be doing only one thing with a snow shovel. And that's bashing in the heads of people in this small town. Yeah, like a real blood simple situation where his (laughs) boss is like, all right, Michael Shannon, 
Listen, you've been giving me the hi hat for too long. And he's just like, uh huh. How about you take a little snow shovel to the back of the cranium and then just whack? Like, he would be the perfect recasting of Norman Bates. Only in the original Psycho, there are moments where Norman Bates is sympathetic. And Michael Shannon just can't reach those heights because he always looks like he is about to engage in something diabolical. You and I fictitiously cast him in the remake of Sharky's Machine. Yes. He's a great anti-hero because you know that no matter what else happened, he did some dark business in his past. Yeah. And he might be searching for redemption, but the question of the movie is whether or not he's going to get it. After doing all this snow shoveling right chat uh-huh. he's ringing up some groceries for this mother and this kid yep. who is eyeballing some candy uh-huh. and he's just like yeah go ahead you want a little candy kid and you're like no don't take that candy that is either poison or it's filled with human parts he offers the kid the candy after the mom is like no zeke put, put your hands back in your pocket you can't have that candy michael shannon says that'll be 47 50 and, sh- and she looks at him and says um, you know, Michael Shannon, um, our tab's real high here and all, but, you know, Bill, my husband, he lost his job down at the mill, you know, what shut down from earlier in the movie's opening credit scenes. I can't pay for this. Could I just put this stuff, you know, on my tab and I'll just pay you later? Yeah, I'll put it on my ledger. And he opens up this big book and scribbles in it and tinkle tink off they leave this general store that looks like the right hand side of a cracker barrel. It does. Yeah, I I don't know what is being purchased here that would get you by a a full week. It is hard candy in glass jars. (laughs) There's homemade butter jam, novelty magnets, and shit that people don't need to buy, like a an embroidered pillow that says, yo quiero a nap with a chihuahua on it. Like, it's just dumb shit that's going to end up in the trash or in a garage sale. And Judy Greer, who is way too good for this movie. Thank God Judy Greer shows up. She is great in everything. Yes. So she sees all this go down with the mother and child one presumes doing a little bit of goalkeeping here to make sure that they make it out alive Uh uh-huh so he doesn't just go across the counter at this kid and she says you know what you're a good man michael shannon up here not down here the way you just gave away all that stuff, knowing that her husband is strung out on methamphetamines and they're never going to pay for that food and candy ever. I mean, ever, Michael Shannon. And then in comes our other character in this movie. Dinkle Dink. Ian McShane. Uh-huh. Of Deadwood and John Wick fame. Uh-huh. Comes in and she's like, ah, I love how this place smells, Michael Shannon. Old cedar and fresh flowers. I never get tired of that smell in here. I've got some dead meat to sell. Elk steaks, wild boar, something I hit with my car. Who wants to buy some dead meat? You have any human? I hit something with my car, Michael Shannon. You like the test of human flesh? The most dangerous game? He is our big hunter, kind of the great white hunter of this film. He's too good for, everyone's too good for this movie. He does a good job with the shit dialogue in his mouth. He's really selling it. Oh, for sure. 
And not only does he carve up his own kills for stakes, uh-huh. he also makes his own moonshine. Well, he's not a man who necessarily abides by the Food and Drug Administration or other overseeing health regulations. He's just selling meat out of his pockets. He's got bottles of homemade whiskey. I think if you look in the inside pocket of his jacket, he's probably got some homemade fireworks for sale as well. It's amazing that everyone in this town isn't suffering from Mad Cow thanks to (laughs) Ian McShane selling his pocket steaks. But he offers a little bit of boost to Michael Shannon. He's like... No, you know how I get when I lose control. You know, (laughs) I don't mind getting a little crazy. You know why? Because we're all on a rock hurtling through space, and there's only one way off of it. Alcohol poisoning. (laughs) (laughs) And Michael Shannon's like, huh, I never thought of it like that. I guess the real terror isn't that there's no heaven. It's that there's no hell to punish the wicked. (laughs) I hear that, Michael Shannon. Look, take this bottle of hooch the next time you want to get freaky with your wife. And why don't you take some of these elk steaks and uh, this uh, pack of bottle rockets? And Judy Greer is like, hey, how about I close up? How about both of you freaks get out of here and leave me alone before the drinking really starts? Hey, Judy Greer, will you close the store for me? Yeah, I just said that I would because I'm going to take these steaks home and grill them for my wife, Christina Hendricks. And we're going to drink wine and shoot off these fireworks. Great. I'm going to breathe deep that which is life. Just get out of here. You're both freaking me out. Also, at this point, there is no reason to think that Judy Greer and Michael Shannon's characters are romantically interested in each other at all. Or more importantly, that she's interested in his weird ass. Which, that's where all of this heads within the matter of like three, four days. Because I think this scene was filmed before the screenwriter and director knew how their movie was going to end. Because if that was the case, Judy Greer an actress's actress would have tossed an agreeable but wistful glance at Michael Shannon. You know, as he left to go home and fuck his wife, Christina Hendricks, and light off bottle rockets and eat this meat that Ian McShane hit with his car. Yeah, but none of this is done well. No. Michael Shannon (laughs) bops along in his death mobile to Jingle Bells all the way home and slips inside the house looking for his wife. Honey? Where are you, honey? I've got pocket elk steaks. And he hears this sound coming from upstairs. Oh! And because Michael Shannon is a lunatic, his first thought is, Honey, did you get a puppy? I said we already had steaks, but the more meat, the better, I guess. (laughs) He goes upstairs to his bedroom and finds his wife in an adult bunny costume suitable for Eastertime meet and greets with children. And beside her is a yet-to-be-identified adult in a wolf costume. Now, for people who haven't seen this movie, we need to explain what's going on. In this movie, Michael Shannon's wife, played by Christina Hendricks, is a furry. Now, what is a furry, you might ask? According to Urban Dictionary, a furry is someone with an interest in anthropomorphic animals like the characters from Zootopia or Chuck E. Cheese. It is a subculture focused on cartoon animals and human-animal hybrids commonly expressed through art, costumes, cosplay, roleplay, etc. It is not always a sexual thing, but it is always a weird thing (laughs) oh and by the way it's always about sex (laughs) yeah where do you land on the whole concept of furries you know i'm a very live and let live kind of guy i know you are 
whatever doesn't hurt other people if you're into it it's kind of fine do i think dressing up like uh, an animal is a little weird and rubbing against another person dressed up like an animal Mm -hmm. sure i do but in the grand scheme of weird behavior it's not the most harmful it's just one of the goofiest i believe that the good of the many outweighs the needs of the few it's like those real dolls Uh uh-huh no don't do that that should be frowned upon by society as i said i have a bigfoot costume in my possession did you put it on and fuck somebody no 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 oh thank god my girlfriend uh like the first day i got it i put it on at her place because we were you know just taking a look at it to see what it was going to look like Uh because she was doing a bigfoot hunter costume for halloween i don't like where this story's going so i'm (laughs) i put it on and i make a joke about like hey you play your cards right i'll wear this to bed Uh and she was like no we are shutting that down right now good for her that is yeah yeah she's a sensible woman she's like under no circumstances are you to ever bring that into the bedroom even as a goof you're just that is a a line we are never going to cross i agree what if you made real dolls that look like a bigfoot somebody fucked that probably oh sure like everybody has fucked everything at one time or another like it's like those people who marry trees or the eiffel tower or whatever it's there's all kinds of flavors of crazy out in the, there in the world it's a baskin robbins of lunacy what if they made real dolls for pedophiles that were child size would you be okay with that oh of course not okay because those weirdos are going to end up hurting someone, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, if you order something like that, then you should go on a list where somebody is just constantly parked outside your house like watching you, your comings and goings. You order that and they just arrest you. Probably <laughs> so. Like, I don't know what the actual legality of it, but I also feel the same way about guns, Chad. I think if you order a gun uh-huh. or buy one, it's just like, well, you ought to be in jail. You don't need to kill something. <laughs> What are you doing? There might be a Bigfoot coming around. I got to protect my house and my home and my plastic doll that I have sex with. In the grand scheme of things, would I rather somebody own a gun or dress up like a rabbit? Dress up like a rabbit nine times out of ten. Speaking of people eventually hurting someone else, Michael Shannon is standing in his bedroom where his wife, Christina Hendricks, is wearing the aforementioned bunny costume. And there's this wolf costume guy next to her. And the wolf says, hey, um, I'm going to leave. And Michael Shannon recognizes this booming baritone voice as Ron Perlman, who is the sheriff of this town. And Michael Shannon says, Sheriff Ron Perlman, is that you? Having sex with my wife. Well, look, uh, it's not having sex. That's the first rule of Furry Club. Nobody has sex at Furry Club. We leave and have sex later. I like that Michael Shannon here is like, why are you dressed up like a squirrel? He's like, I'm not a squirrel. I'm a wolf. That It doesn't make sense if I'm a squirrel. We're in a club, all right? There's like 32 members in the Tri-County area. All right? And the last thing we do is have sex, Michael Shannon. Meaning that we have sex, it's just on the list, and it's the last thing that we do. That's a little furry humor. Please don't kill me, Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon asked Christina Hendricks what's going on, and she's like, Look, I've been bored, Michael Shannon. And that is her entire excuse for this behavior, is that she needs a little spice in her life. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. I've got this weird furry kink. Mm-hmm. And Ron Perlman, meanwhile, is like, listen, uh, I assume you're just going to kind of keep this under wraps, right? Hey, sorry for doing this weird shit in your bedroom. I'm going to take off then. Don't 32 other weirdos in the Tri-County area already know this secret? And look, if I wanted you dead, 
you'd already be dead, along with every other person you love or have loved or will love in the future. And Christina Hendricks, not sensing that she's in the room with a ticking time bomb, is like, I think we need a break in our marriage so that I can rub up against other people. I guess I'm going to go back to the store. Cut to Michael Shannon driving down the road in his green Volkswagen minibus as Alvin and the Chipmunks sing We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Uh huh. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. I look at this as him just searching for his next victim of opportunity. But fortunately, no one's walking the street, so he makes it back to the store without blood on his hands. <laughs> he goes inside this tax shop and candy emporium where Judy Greer is closing up for the night. And another thing in this movie, if you're not paying real close attention, it is easy to mistake Judy Greer and Christina Hendricks in their respective roles. I mean, clearly, you know who's who, but they both have the same shoulder length, strawberry blonde hair. They could play sisters. The way that I told them apart was that one of them has a rabbit costume on and reeks of mothballs and is partially covered in Ron Perlman's discharge. <laughs> you want a Perlman necklace? That's a little furry humor. <laughs> I'm the sheriff. I'm also a wolf. And Michael Shannon is drunk and says he hasn't been drunk since his wedding night. Yeah. And he says, and we all know how that turned out. Like, you, that's ominous. Right. <laughs> that was the first time I, I killed. So he says, I wanted to breathe life into my marriage. Instead, I breathed in rabbit and squirrel poop. Yeah. And then he breaks into the moonshine, a.k.a. the crazy juice from Ian McShane. Uh-huh. And Judy Greer is like, how about I just take you home, huh? Get you off the streets, maybe? I don't have a home. My wife left me. She's been replaced by the Easter Bunny's evil twin. He asks Judy Greer if she belongs to a furry sex club. And she's like, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. Good luck. All right. Sobering up, Michael Shannon. Dinkle dink. She's out the door. Yeah. After she's gone, he just starts howling uh -huh. and is like, here's to going crazy, Michael Shannon. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. He polishes off that full flask of bathtub gin or whatever the hell is in that bottle. It's just kerosene. Yeah. Predominantly <laughs> fuel of some kind. Lamp oil like that movie, The Lighthouse. He walks over and grabs this full body camouflage suit that is covered in long moss. Yeah. It's like a gill suit that snipers use yeah and then he, which why are they selling that in the cracker barrel or us chad i gotta break it to you that ain't for sale <laughs> that was just michael shannon's this is not the first time he has worn the ghillie suit and gone out into the night i guarantee you he goes to the back office and finds a box full of halloween costumes and he grabs a gorilla mask and he puts it on and he just heads off into this small town to terrorize the city as this slapdash gas station bigfoot character Right, it's a real shitty Bigfoot because it's just an ape mask. Like, not to toot my own horn here, Chad, but the Bigfoot outfit I was wearing, like, ten times more convincing. I've seen your Bigfoot costume, and it is, this looks like shit. It looks terrible. So, he wakes up in his office the next day. Naked in the back office of this mercantile. With Judy Greer saying, oh my god, mother, the blood. <laughs> no, <laughs> 
she's like, she says, Michael Shannon, put some clothes on. The next part of the movie is happening out here. So he gets dressed and he staggers outside where a dozen town folk are in the store and they're watching a television news report where the reporter, her name is Stacy Gutierrez. She's interviewing this guy pretending to be a stoner and he's this like fat dude in a toque with a beard. And he's like, oh, we're out smoking a big... <laughs> You know, and we saw Bigfoot. <laughs> and then there's this woman from like the year 1964 wearing these cat eye glasses. And she says, I was downstairs. I saw it chasing a buddy. And I called my husband who ran outside. And the husband horns in. He's like, that's right. I saw it. A squatch. It must have got thirsty from all the running around because he started drinking out of this little pee and fountain boy. The water's coming out of his dick and squirting into Bigfoot's mouth. He's literally pissing boy pee into Bigfoot mouth. It turns out, y'all, Bigfoot. Bigfoot is into water sports. Now, nobody saw that coming, but we all know that this is a real kinky community around here. We got furries. We got water sports. I think we got a little fisting. Dope dealers. Of course, we got meth. Look around. Look at these teeth, huh? That didn't happen because I brush a lot. It happened because I like meth. That's why they call me Meth Mouth Mike. During this whole time, we see these rapid edits that are these flashback memories from Michael Shannon's night before of him running around in this rubber mask and this ghillie suit. And it's barely meeting the requirements of what anyone here could possibly call a squatch. <laughs> and yes, you do see Michael Shannon in this get up drinking outdoor fountain water piss from a naked kid's dick. Right. And so Michael Shannon puts two and two together, realizes that they're talking about him. And he says, everyone, excuse me for a minute. I'm going to go to my office. During this newscast at the bottom, there's a crawl that says breaking news in this sleepy little town. I mean, this happened the night before. This is on the local news. Well, sure. The last big story was the mill closing in like 2012. The other highlights of, of the news over the past, you know, six months were like that time that Jerry got his truck stuck in the ditch when they found that shit on the front lawn of the city hall that could have been a person but it turned out it was just a moose Michael Shannon goes to the back office and he stuffs all of the evidence of his drunken Sasquatchcapades into a duffel bag and he crosses the town square where that same reporter is still outside gathering more information on this developing story boat. And Michael Shannon goes into the sheriff's office and it's full of hustle and bustle because of the big overnight Sasquatch sightings. And Michael Shannon walks into Ron Perlman's office and Sheriff Ron Perlman says, Look, Michael Shannon, I was going to tell you about me dressing up like a wolf and fucking your wife. I really was. You know, having sex with women in animal costumes is my thing. And I just want to let you know, I'm not going to fuck your wife anymore as far as you're going to know. The whole time, Michael Shannon is like, I understand all of that. And I'll wreak my vengeance about all of this later. I'm trying to tell you something right now, Ron Perlman. Yeah, yeah, but I've got a TV producer on the phone, you understand. I can't possibly listen to you for the 90 seconds it's going to take to clear all of this three's company style mix up so i'm gonna need to get back with you later is that okay michael shannon i i guess it'll have to be okay all right i'm just gonna take my duffel bag which may or may not contain evidence hey hey michael shannon right before you leave is there a body in that bag um no all right i'm gonna take your word for it by the way i'm not gonna rub the bunny again i promise all right and if i rub the bunny i mean fuck your wife by the way i'm gonna fuck your wife again in that bunny costume these mixed signals make me crazy <laughs> 
He takes off, and on the street, he's accosted by a couple of ne'er-do-wells from the town. When he leaves, he first sees his wife walking in the town square. So we get to kind of reintroduce her, and I think she's coming to town because she's all excited about Bigfoot. And then that's where he meets these budding capitalists. Yeah, who are like, hey, is it okay, Michael Shannon, if we just throw some half-ass slapdash Bigfoot merchandise in your store to sell completely tax-free and under the table? Absolutely. That's how my store works. Would you like some pocket meat? My friend Ian McShane can really hook you up. No, that's fine. That's where we get our weed. Michael Shannon kind of looks over this growing crowd forming, and then he looks at his duffel bag, and he's like, I think I'm having a terrible idea. Uh, And then just wanders off. Well, he walks over to his wife, and here she looks a lot like Judy Greer. And she says, look, Michael Shannon, I don't have time for you. This Bigfoot thing has my panties in a twist and not in a bad way. I'm so excited. Get out of here. And then Ian McShane is openly drinking in his pickup truck because he wasn't sure what his call time was for the shooting (laughs) that day. (laughs) Look, I'm going to be in the back of my truck drinking. You just let me know when you need me to flip the switch. And then I'm there. You understand? (laughs) And this is where Michael Shannon starts hearing voices in his head. Not an uncommon occurrence, if you ask me. And we get all of these audio flashbacks of this Bigfoot's the biggest thing to happen in two decades, two decades. We can sell Bigfoot merchandise, merchandise. Bigfoot here in our backyard, backyard. Lisa needs braces. Dental plan. (laughs) After the store closes that night. Mm -hmm. The Andrews sisters begin to sing Sleigh Ride. And Michael Shannon (laughs) just goes rampaging through the streets of town again uh-huh but this time he's stone cold sober he's just fucking crazy says you look insanity is its own kind of intoxicant in my version of this movie he just sucked the sweat out of the cushion seats of ian mcshane's dilapidated pickup truck <laughs> he squeezed out the costume from the previous <laughs> night into a jar of some kind of hazy yellow liquid that he <laughs> took down and then yeah it just goes r- r- Goes through the streets, but this time he is also trying to get attention. So he's just waving at people and yelling and whatnot. Tour buses start showing up and dropping off groups of slack-jawed tourists looking to get a glimpse of Bigfoot. And then all of the citizens of Pottersville start decorating the town for the Christmas season. Which, by the way, we haven't talked about this. This is a Christmas movie, which you wouldn't have known. Aside from the handful of songs that you've heard that are Christmas-themed, there's been no Christmas decorations whatsoever. It's really not until the end of the movie where he's taking down a Christmas tree that I was like, oh, right, Christmas. I almost forgot that that's all happening. I did like a budding entrepreneur start selling big foot-long hot dogs how clever yeah he should get a food truck with a name like that i like how every food truck is a little play on words i know i had a quite a delicious burrito from a food truck the other night do you remember the name of the food truck yeah it was cosmic charlie's burritos see there you go who cut the cheese gourmet grilled cheeses like oh my favorite there's there's one here locally called the grilled cheesery and i like that they fancy up grilled cheese like that that makes me happy Anyway, money is starting to roll into the store. There's uh, this whole montage where this is like Rocky Four in its love of montages, mm-hmm. where we've got Michael Shannon doing more Bigfoot shenanigans. 
There's no way Michael Shannon was in this costume. That's the director or the key grip. Yeah, it's a PA at best. He's way too enthusiastic the way he's waving his arms and doing cartwheels and shaking his ass. He goes by one house where a family's putting up a Christmas tree and a little boy yells out, Merry Christmas, Bigfoot. And then everybody waves back at each other. (laughs) Yeah, if only, Chad, that really is my dream of looking out a window at Christmas time and seeing a Bigfoot there. Merry Christmas, Bigfoot and him give a little wave you know Bo, you could make that christmas dream come true for children all around your neighborhood there was a point where i said hey i ought to wear this costume i've got uh-huh. and just go through the woods a little bit and see if somebody takes a picture right but you didn't want to get shot yeah that was what somebody pointed out I was like oh you'll get shot yes not not a picture you'll just get shot i would shoot you and i don't even own a gun <laughs> I would I would go to a neighbor's, I would find a gun, and then I would come shoot you. Uh, but And that's why we'll never capture a Bigfoot ever, because Bigfoot knows that we're too violent a species. It's got to stay on the down low, you know, to pre- preserve its own life. During this montage, there's a tree lighting ceremony in the town center that is better attended than that shit show we saw in Gotham in the last episode. We come back to the store where Judy Greer tells Michael Shannon, If this keeps up, we're going to have to hire some help. Look at all these people in here. Because it's all full of tourists. Right. And then those two guys who wanted to sell Bigfoot merchandise, they run inside the store and one of them says, quick, come outside. You have to leave your store and all of its belongings and cash register unattended for people to pilfer and steal. Something big is happening outside. And everyone in the store rushes outside where a helicopter lands in the street. One of the most implausible things to happen in this movie, because there's no way this movie had helicopter money. All right, Chad, before we get into who steps out of this helicopter, let me just say, uh-huh. for the most part, when I see Thomas Lennon appear in a movie, I think, oh, good. Uh-huh. There's Thomas Lennon. He's a funny guy. He can be. Yeah. Like, Rito 911, I think, is very funny. He's terrific in that. He does a lot of bit parts in movies where he just shows up for a day or two on the set to liven up a romantic comedy or something. Uh-huh. And he tends to be really good. And I like him a lot. And he does have the funniest joke in this whole movie. Well, he has the second funniest joke in this whole movie. All right, you're going to have to point that out because I never laughed in this movie. The helicopter lands and it is the monster finder (sighs) who is the host of a reality show that searches for monsters in the same way that there are a number of these reality shows where knuckleheads go out to, you know, the wilds in search of the yowie. And it is Thomas Lennon with... At what I thought at first was a New Zealand accent, but then he later says it's Australian. Mm-hmm. But it's him being like, crikey, I'm Thomas Lennon. I'm here to hear about your Bigfoot. He starts questioning them about all their sightings and that kind of thing. And everyone is just competing for how big the Bigfoot that they saw was. Like one person is like, it was seven feet tall. And then like a deputy is like, it was as big as a house. In the back of the crowd is Ian McShane and Michael Shannon just kind of giving each other the side eye of like, what do you say? We kill him? And Michael Shannon's like, give it a little time. We don't want to do it with witnesses. Is he supposed to be like a Steve Irwin type? Is that what's going on here? 
I think it's the accent of a Steve Irwin, but it's more of a Josh Gates is the reality inspiration for it, who did Expedition Unknown and a couple of other shows like that, where it's just like, hey, here's the monster of Lake Champlain, and we're going to go out there at night and act all spooked. His accent, as you mentioned, is just muddled. I mean, it's this terrible Australian thing. It sounds like a couple of podcast assholes doing a george lazenby impression <laughs> i resemble that remark <laughs> and and later we understand that oh well that's kind of the joke is that he's not really australian or but that twist doesn't need to happen later we'll get to that but, but, but this movie is really filled with unexpected twists from beginning to end i will give that to its credit because they don't know what they're doing yeah it is an accidental compliment because we <laughs> started out that you're like oh michael shannon's in this i wonder who he's gonna murder wait he's an everyman that doesn't make sense then you get furry sex that doesn't involve sex yet you're like well that's bizarre then we get the bigfoot moment nobody saw that coming that didn't know what the hell this movie was about now we have this australian monster hunter that's right he says there's a rumor floating around that there might be a sea scorch in these pits and these like two t-shirt guys are like fanboys and they're just screaming and yelling and thomas lennon goes you should all follow me and tweet it which and the crowd just they're going ape shit for him we cut to city hall which is full of like law enforcement and all the town folk and thomas lennon is holding court and he says for status how many of you seen the scratch and then half the people raise their hand and then thomas lennon talking to all these people and he's going one by one asking them what happened when they saw the bigfoot and he looks at this one woman and he says you there love did you say him and this woman says i was getting in my car and whoosh he ran by he must have been 10 feet tall and thomas lennon interjects under his breath three meters e equating 10 feet to three meters to help validate the ruse of him not being an american made me laugh that did not make me laugh even a little bit i honestly did not laugh one single time watching this movie. let me flash ahead when that woman says to him i ought to stick a big foot up your ass that didn't make you laugh no this was a laugh free viewing you have a heart of stone it's not a heart of stone it's a sense of humor and this movie doesn't have one I agree with, I wasn't laughing with the movie. I was laughing at the movie. Right. I mean, this was just a wasteland of comedy where I understand that they were going for some of these hack jokes. The closest I came was probably when Ian McShane does the Quint thing. And, and that only lasted as far as like, oh, are they going to continue this? It's not just a one-off joke. Oh, well then that's just stupid, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Speaking of Ian McShane, he asks Michael Shannon, Do you have Christina Hendricks enjoy her pocket steaks? And Michael Shannon says, She's been enjoying all kinds of animals lately. Almost likely murder her before the movie is over. And then he stares across the room at his wife, who is looking at this Australian monster hunter with these moony eyes. Thomas Lennon says, All right, we'll begin our search at Grace Happy Hill. Who wants to help me? Despite the peril. And Sheriff Ron Perlman says, hey, I can start a search party. Thanks, Sheriff. 
Jeez. All right. Get him an autograph. Yeah. Get him an autograph picture. Yeah. Oh, it's just the worst. <laughs> and so they do. They like the next day, Ron Perlman, the inhabitants of this town, uh-huh. along with Thomas Lennon as this monster hunter. They form a search party like they're looking for a corpse. I don't know yeah. what they're looking for exactly, like Bigfoot or shit or something. Also, this movie is rated PG-13. There's no cursing. There's no violence. It has to be because of the people in animal mascot costumes fucking each other, right? Implied furry sex, probably how the MPAA listed it. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, my girlfriend got wind of this. It was like, no, <laughs> under no circumstances. <laughs> they all get whistles, which I like, and in sticks so that they don't actually step in the corpse. Uh-huh. And then they just fan out to search. Michael Shannon, meanwhile, stays behind, silently hoping no one finds one of the bodies that he's dumped out there. Oh, Christ. One of you are going to be dead before the night ends. Whoever finds my awful is going to get it. You're going to be next on my list. One of the stoners mm-hmm. runs across a dead deer and blows tweet, the whistle. Tweet, tweet, tweet. <laughs> yeah, it's a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen all over again. <laughs> and they rush to their side, and Ian McShane immediately is like, ah, that's just a deer. He stepped in a hole and died of exposure. For your information, this type of injury is normally seen. In the Mount Timbering region of Queensland, caused by the Australian Yowie, I've seen it in a rare instances where it's been done by a North American cousin, the Bigfoot. Ian McShane is having none of this. He's just like, oh, God, this is just the stupidest human being I've run across lately. And you as the viewing audience feel the same way. Absolutely. He does this promo for his show here. And he's like, let's get one for the promo. And he like squats down and pops back up. He's like, there's definitely a scorching these woods. And then he does three or four of these retakes for the promos. And this whole bit goes on way too long. In fact, it should have probably gone on twice as long and done the old sideshow Bob stepping on the rake bit. Kind of an- going for an anti-comedy sort of thing. But yeah. this movie is just way too, it- it's just way too broad for that. And it's absent any real humor any joke that happens to me was accidental or because i was so thirsty for a giggle that somebody saying they're gonna stick a big foot up your ass really gave me a case of the teehees <laughs> yeah that is a sad state of affairs <laughs> he, he does all those recurring bits like one with glasses one without and all that stuff uh. and then we finally go back to the general store later that night where thomas lennon in one of the most insufferable scenes of the movie is like yeah let me tell you all about my experience with the squatch and christina hendrix is in this crowd of people like uh surrounding thomas lennon and hanging on his every word and all of that and she's like hey do you ever dress up like any of the animals that you hunt well no but i'm not against it especially if we're rubbing each other <laughs> before we get into that how about i sing you a song this one i dedicated to nelson mandela he sings this song about Sasquatch, and again, it's just not funny. I'll tell you, one of the most telling moments of the whole movie is when he's asking his assistant or the producer or whatever for the guitar, and he kind of gives it a, a second glance, like a, a double take, and it's clearly just this improvised moment where he thought he was inserting some comedy into an otherwise comedy-free film. Right. But it, it just highlights the fact that like oh thomas lennon is doing what he can to 
say this. Mm-hmm. You just can't, no. you know, because the script is so fucking bad. It is just chock full of so many disconnected elements, like you said earlier, and none of it really goes together. It feels like a child's recipe for Mother's Day pancakes, where it's like you put in eggs and water and jelly beans and coffee and red stuff and glitter and ketchup, and you put it in the oven for 500 degrees for three hours, and it's my mom's favorite. And I was like, well, that's just bullshit. If I did that and she ate it, it would kill her. <laughs> so after this song, Michael Shannon tries to go talk to Christina Hendricks and he's like, listen, I've got something I need to confess to you. I mean, say to you. And she blows him off. Why don't you get out of here? All right. I'm sitting in a puddle of my own sex right now looking at this guy. All right. He might dress up like a Bigfoot and I could dress up as a rabbit and we could rub on each other and then he could fuck me. Get out of here, Michael Shannon. <laughs> Go on out of here, Michael Shannon. Nobody cares about you. Give me a kettle for gentle soup. <laughs> so this is where Ian McShane does the fingernails on the chalkboard. Right. And it's a whole like, y'all know me. You know what I do for a living? Fuck this movie. Th- this was the moment where I was like, I really, I was like, I'm done. This is garbage. This is like scary movie five or something like that. Or not another teen abortion movie. Was that one of those movies? Yeah. Not another superhero movie or whatever the yeah, hell those it is. Things. That was the point also where I thought, well, like if it's just that line, you know what I do for a living? And even so far as to make the reference to the, you know, I'm not talking about catching bluegill or poppycock down at the pond when he's like, I'm not talking about hunting elk or whatever it is. But then you realize like, oh, they're just going to do an extended Jaws parody of them going into the woods. And that's where you're like, oh, well, this movie not only doesn't make any sense, it doesn't have an original bone in its body either, other than to assemble all these disparate elements in a blender and I guess hope something works. He says, I'll catch this squatch. I'll catch him and it'll make this town famous. More than this guy's TV show, our city will be famous and flooded with tourists and we'll be on the map forever. Wait, this logic seems a bit misguided. One, because of his excessive consumption of toilet wine that he's made in his trailer out in the woods somewhere. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea, in fact, there's a lot of characters in this movie that really just want to be rich and famous and for all of these vapid reasons. Here's another question for you, Bo. How is it that this movie doesn't have a real Bigfoot show up. That was the thing I kept thinking was going to happen because Michael Shannon's costume is so shitty and he's running around pretending to be Bigfoot that a real Harry and the Henderson would show and be like, oh shit, this is going to be essentially a Bigfoot movie. But that don't happen. It kind of does at the end though. That's Ron Perlman fucking somebody in a sexy fox costume. Uh, He and Christina Hendricks patch things up. Yeah. She put on the Bigfoot costume. So Michael Shannon, you see him in his truck and the implication is that he is talking to christina Hendricks and he is confessing everything to her but of course this is all bullshit it is him practicing this speech that he's going to give her about like you know i didn't really want to hurt anybody not this time i just got drunk and ran around town and i screamed and shit on people's porches and i drank piss shots out of this child's statue dick now michael shannon is totally bought into it because the next time we see him after this insane monologue to nobody in his truck, which I'm sure is not the first nor the last time he will talk to an invisible person in the cab of his truck. But he says he's doing all of this because his wife likes men in costumes and she wanted some excitement. And he says, 
I'm doing all this for you. And of course, the town. Now I have to keep up this ruse until we get on this TV show. Blink once if you're happy. (laughs) Blink twice if you want to meet your maker. I mean, it's a step away from like boxing Helena or something. I just want to point out his motivation is I'm doing this to get back with my wife and it'll help the town. On paper, this is why he's doing all of this. All right. Then he goes to do a bunch of Bigfoot research about how they walk and what they sound like, what they smell like. Then he even fancies up the costume a little bit. Fancies up. He grabs a black Sharpie and like circles the eyes a little bit. Puts some white out on it. Then we cut to Thomas Lennon in the woods at night with like his camera people and they're doing some makeup on him and that kind of thing and the whole time michael shannon now in his bigfoot outfit is watching from the trees and also thomas lennon is being a bit of a vain tv asshole diva it's a riff on the christian bale yeah going off on a crew member thing it's not verbatim but it's really close he starts yelling at some lighting guy yeah and, and it really feels like an improv moment in the movie there is such a lack of originality in every single fiber of this film yeah then the filming starts and thomas lennon just goes creeping around in the brush he's like yeah the sasquatch it feeds on sip it it comes down at night and again this all just feels like bad improv the shit about sasquatches and sap and him calling it sip yes you should have edited 80 percent of this out of the movie it goes on for like two and a half minutes it goes on for a long time it's never funny and it's just him saying sip yeah because the sip it comes out of the trees the the sip is is it funny when i say it this way sip sip i always go back to a thing that lauren michaels said in the early days of saturday night live a rule that has since long been thrown out get me some more cocaine (laughs) well that also where is belushi again He said a lot of good things, but he said early on, like, don't give the characters dumb names. Like, if you're going for a joke where it's just somebody calling somebody by a funny name, he called it the Walter Crankcase School of Comedy for Walter Cronkite. He was like, we're never going to do that on the show. Cut to seven years later, and they totally do that on the show. But it's the same kind of thing where it's just like, oh, you're just saying a word that sounds funny. None of this comedy comes from the script or the character or the situation. It's just hey what if i try to squeeze any comedy from this turnip of a a script and i admire at least thomas lennon for trying it just doesn't work and like you said it goes on for about a day and a half under better direction they should have revealed that he's a fraud early on that he's not this australian character Mm -hmm. and then you endear yourself to thomas lennon and he's like i can't fucking do this i can't do i'm not gonna do this like you have to and just watching him painfully play this character could have been funny i agree that there is a world in which thomas lennon's character could have been funny it's just unfortunate that this is not one of them so he's doing this sip sip thing and then michael shannon starts howling out in the woods after thomas lennon initially howls to get the the scorchies attention and the whole production crew is like huh and then they get on the walkie-talkie and thomas lennon says great work mike but you're a little bit too close you need to be a world the production assistant says but that wasn't me and everybody's like oh and then michael shannon jumps out from the woods in this trash bag covered in moss with a shitty gorilla mask and the whole production team just shits their pants and runs in every direction it leaves michael shannon and by himself and he says i don't think they got their picture Uh, zero point zero 
So we then cut to Thomas Lennon in his hotel room, or let's face it, motel room. Sure. Where he is packing up his shit, uh. and he completely drops the accent at this point. This is where we get the reveal, where he's talking to his producer, and he's like, look, I just want to get out of here. The deal was never to go out in the woods and actually confront a real honest-to-goodness monster. And she's like, yeah, 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 but you don't have to do any of this. We're going to hire Ian McShane to hunt this Sasquatch. Yeah, we're going to get him and his flask will help us capture bigfoot right and then you're gonna be the biggest star in the world and he's like oh so that means that i can quit doing this stupid accent and this stupid show i'll go out on a high note i'll be a superstar that's what he says the scene ends with him saying this is the face of a superstar isn't that right and she's like yeah 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 it is and again it's just clearly thomas lennon vamping and improving here and it just falls so flat it's so unfortunate yeah so his plan is to exploit ian mcshane long enough to get famous so he can start doing movies i secretly wanted the third act of this movie to turn ultra violent and michael shannon to just start murdering people planet terror <laughs> levels of cartoon <laughs> violence sadly that does not happen but that's what i wanted to happen i would have been a, a thousand percent on board if it had done a from dust till dawn uh-huh. and made a hard left turn halfway through where it was just like what the fuck i'm gonna have to convince him that i'm for real and then <laughs> just starts murdering people left and right like the end of first blood or something where he's just like caked in mud and ripping babies from the womb oh it would be the best i yes everything about that would be fantastic right. thomas lennon agrees to this plan with his producer to hire ian mcshane and his flask and sheriff ron perlman to all go out in the woods and catch the bigfoot looking ever so much like hooper quentin brody in the aforementioned jaws yeah we come back to the general store where all these tourists are making a real mess of the place they're knocking merchandise off the shelves and they're saying things like keep the change you filthy animal it's total chaos i like the fact that michael shannon is selling single beers to people people at the counter not six packs just individual beers are being rung up <laughs> like it's a bar which it probably kind of is at this point two old women are sitting at a table across the way and they're having an argument for which one of them has seen bigfoot and old lady number one says did you have lunch with him too did he ask for his pants back and originally i thought that old lady number one was implying that old lady number two fucked bigfoot uh -huh. and she kept his pants but it turns out she was just saying that old lady number two was fat and that her pants would fit a big fat bigfoot and then judy greer comes over and she's like ladies 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 you're both old whores okay and you're both fat <laughs> stop fighting over bigfoot and get the hell out of grieger's market or whatever the hell this place is called yeah i like judy greer having to bring up an old woman fight better movie <laughs> if that's where the story sat so she busts up this fight and then the merch guys show up with brand new boxes and let michael shannon know hey by the way we're trying to capitalize on this because Ian mcshane thomas lennon and ron perlman are going out into the woods to catch bigfoot uh -huh. and michael shannon is like oh that's great why does he look so worried just don't go out in the woods michael shannon and then they won't catch anything that's it we're done in the history of every bigfoot show ever nobody's ever caught a bigfoot but that doesn't prevent them from making more bigfoot shows yeah there's a line about that later from his producer where i'm like clearly you have never seen any of these stupid monster hunting shows 
shows. All you've got to do is pretend like you heard something, and that's the climax of your show. Yeah, so the crew, <laughs> speaking of, is packing up Ian McShane's pickup truck. They got an arsenal of tranquilizer guns to drug up Bigfoot. Thomas Lennon freaks out when he sees this tranquilizer gun. He's like, ooh, what is that? Crikey. His accent is awful. It's intentionally bad, but it's, again, it's just not funny. No. He has a line here that is maybe the closest to a joke I found in the film. All right. Still didn't laugh at it. Okay. But it's when he gets Ron Perlman to load all his shit into the back of the pickup truck by saying, ooh, I got a yoga injury. And I was like, okay, that's something. That's an actual line. All of that is happening out in the woods. Meanwhile, Judy Greer is with Michael Shannon back at the general store judy greer is like you know i really wish somebody would just catch this guy dressing up like bigfoot and be done with it michael shannon turns on her how do you know it's a man what do you know judy greer because there's no such thing as bigfoot michael shannon it's clearly someone in a shitty costume look now the whole town's changed old lady number one and old lady number two and are calling each other fat whores in the general store they only used to do that behind each other's backs i just think they want to get on that stupid tv show what do you think they're gonna do once they catch this thing they're probably gonna you know skin him or set him on fire and piss and shit on him or something it's gonna be horrible that's what i would do but i'm judy greer i'm awesome i think the people of this town just want a little hope and if it's some guy pretending to be bigfoot well that's okay right and she's like no and ian mcshane and his flask they're probably just gonna hang his head on the wall after all that other shit i said about you know setting him on fire thomas lennon does some more vamping out in the woods when he hears that they're gonna sleep out there in a tent Crikey, you gotta be kidding me. I can't sleep in here in the snow. And then later that night, he's doing this like camera confessional and he's like, Crikey, now I'm gonna howl and make noises to communicate with this squatch. And something in the distance starts howling. He's like, there it is. It's a squatch. And Ian McShane's like, it's a coyote. And he's like, yeah, that's what the squatch does. It pretends to be a coyote. It all goes nowhere. It's not funny. Right. Thomas Lennon ends up playing his guitar again and singing it's all improv bullshit none of it is entertaining it's really bad like this is the point when i was watching the movie for the first time that i told you i was like i had to turn it off man i just couldn't do it it was so bad it is like i think the way i put it to you was whatever the opposite of entertainment is that's what this movie is i want to read you my notes right here you're gonna like this Uh uh-huh this scene makes me sad for ian mcshane being in this stain of a movie he is better than this and i think this is the moment in this movie that most people just turn it off yeah you don't care about any of this at this point in the film <laughs> yeah a hundred percent there is nothing to hang your hat on there is not a likable character there is nothing good about anything happening here it is painful to watch good performers doing just utter shit of course i'm doing notes on it and thank christ at this point in the movie there's only like 20 minutes left <laughs> we're close to the end yeah shockingly this is almost the end of the movie there's nothing that you're on the edge of your seat about we could just say the end and what's on the next episode and nobody's gonna care <laughs> yeah people will be more excited about that for sure but yeah so but yeah you're right all this ends up with them doing a little bit of drinking ron perlman and ian mcshane continue drinking ian mcshane tells thomas lennon i put tripwire all around the perimeter so we're safe tonight sip sip is that funny yet, Sip? What if I bang some sticks together and say Sip? 
<laughs> Back in town, Judy Greer is hanging out with Michael Shannon as he's counting money, and I guess living at the store now? I don't know. And he's like, well, how about you do me a solid and go get the deposit bag and take all this money to the bank? That's the kind of trust I have in you. Also, I think you're aware that if you ever were to break that trust, the consequences of such an action. You're so funny, Michael Shannon. I'll go in the back and get the bank back. Hold on a minute. So she goes in the back and she's looking around and she opens up the oversized duffel bag. And I think the bank bag is maybe in it. I don't know why she opens. It doesn't matter. But she finds the poorly constructed Bigfoot costume and she looks at it and then away and then back to the bag. And then she looks away. Then there's a pause. Then some contemplation. It really sinks in. If the Bigfoot costume is in Michael Shannon's bag, (laughs) then that means Michael Shannon is the one pretending to be Bigfoot. Or he's like giving him shelter. Why is Michael Shannon working with the Bigfoot? Why are you dressed up like the Batman? (laughs) Yeah, it's totally that. (laughs) Hey! Why are you dressed up like Bigfoot? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Judy Greer walks out into the main part of the store with a shade of pale across her face that is reserved for people who know that they will not live to see another sunrise. Because she now knows that Michael Shannon's deep secret is that he is really the Bigfoot man and she is going to die and nobody will ever find her body. <laughs> and sadly, nobody will miss her once she is gone. Yes. Meanwhile, back in the woods, sip, sip. Thomas Lennon is lying awake while Ron Perlman and Ian McShane sleep off the bathtub gin they've been drinking. Yep. And then they hear a trap go off and all of them immediately bolt upright and go hunting for whatever it was that set off their alarm. Thomas Lennon hears something in the brush, whips around, fires his trank gun and ends up hitting Ron Perlman, who, of course, is easily mistaken for an animal because he was Chad the Beast. In Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. And Ian McShane is like, listen, you dumb son of a bitch. It was a coyote that set off the trap. Crikey, seep. Cut to Michael Shannon lying on the bed, listening to the voices in his head. Dental plan. We cut to the next day where we're back at the hunting site. Thomas Lennon is calling his assistant on his phone while he takes a shit in the snow. Ian McShane walks over and just says, give me that goddamn phone. And he chunks it off in the snow. And then Thomas Lennon goes back to taking his shit in that scene. Which, again, is a lazy Jaws period. It is just a ripoff of the Quint busting up the radio scene. I was like, when did someone take a shit in jaws well (laughs) there was someone always taking a shit in jaws (laughs) if someone's swimming in the ocean someone's taking a shit absolutely there's a whole bit with thomas lennon saying well what are we gonna eat then and ian mcshane just shoves a stick into a log and gets some grubs out of it and then eats one and eh. yeah it goes nowhere I, i know I know. Back at the market, Michael Shannon, he's selling a bunch of worthless bullshit to Thomas Lennon's main assistant, the one who convinced him to go off into the woods. And we hear her say, if we don't get this footage of Bigfoot, then we don't have a show. And Michael Shannon looks real worried as Judy Greer sneaks a peekaloo over at him because she knows what he's up to and what his soulless eyes mean you know when he stares at someone like this she's like oh my god she's gonna kill her we head back into the woods and ron perlman's there he's coming to after being tranquilized and it is now night two of their snipe hunt and these three start drinking moonshine again come back to the market judy greer is there with michael shannon and she says so uh michael shannon what are you doing tonight you want to come over to my house and maybe drink some beer some wine and watch a movie 
movie? Michael Shannon says, nah, I'm going to go out in the woods <laughs> dressed like a Bigfoot. I mean, I'm going to go home to the van where I live now because my wife is a whore. Yeah, so she takes the bank bag, looks very sad as she looks back and Michael Shannon turns over the clothes sign, uh-huh. knowing full well he's about to go out into the woods and get up to some shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Our Jaws group out in the woods it has gotten pretty sauced at this point. How happy were you that they didn't sing Show Me the Way to Go Home? Um... It's something, at least, that it's not that bald a ripoff. But, I mean, at this point, they've ripped off so many little things from it that it's like, well, I don't know that anything can redeem this at this point. (laughs) Just because you don't do another thing that's terrible doesn't change the fact that most of the things you've done in this movie are fucking awful. We come back to Michael Shannon, and he's click-clacking away on this old-timey typewriter. And I'd bet $100 that the letter that he's writing begins with the sentence by the time you read this i'll be dead yeah if you're reading this i am dead oh absolutely it starts like that this is a real death by cop situation where he feels like he is going to save the town and in the process he is going to die and when his estranged wife's love i mean he's got a lot of mythology built up about like he's already imagining what the funeral is like and who says what <laughs> We see Judy Greer walking in the snow with the bank bag and she stops and she turns around and rushes back to the market and he wouldn't kill her if they were in the market, would he? That's where he makes his living. She's like, if he kills me there, he can't make money. Okay, I'm going to be safe at the market. And she announces it well ahead of time. Like she's not even fully through the door before she's like, I know your secret. Just in case that he's there and like grabs a knife or something, she's already in motion and has a bit of a head start on him. She rushes to the back office and picks up the piece of paper and she starts starts reading it and as she does she gasps then she sheds a tear then she smiles then she looks concerned which is how you read anything that michael shannon offers (laughs) birthday card shopping list recipe for his world famous white chicken chili this was the moment where in my notes i got to the judy greer is so much better than this movie her rolling that tear in this scene you're just like oh don't waste it here you're so good everything about judy greer is just like it's like schindler's list she is a pure good it's weird when you see her show up in movies that you don't remember she's in she's the ex-wife in ant-man and she's the mom in jurassic world and she was in those Halloween remakes that I haven't seen. I'm assuming Bad. she's fantastic in those. I mean, she's fine, but don't bother. <laughs> that that last one, that Halloween kills. Oh, stinky. We come back to the woods and our three hunters are romping around at night, following the sounds of howling out in the woods. And this time, Sheriff Ron Perlman, he's like, hey, guys, guys, wait a minute. Uh, I don't think we should be heading over that way. It sounds like a whole lot of howling. And eventually the three Jaws knockoff characters, they they come upon a full-blown hallucinogenic teddy bear picnic where <laughs> 30 plus people are out in the woods in furry costumes just stoned to the bejesus. Christina Hendricks is in her bunny costume and she's like welcome to the first annual Squatch Watch spirit gathering. Who wants to pat the bunny? And they're just tripping balls. Right. It, it's just nothing but molly and furries as far as the eye can see Uh you know immediately start chanting one of us like it's freaks 
Yeah. And start rubbing against them and whatnot. And Thomas Lennon, by the way, kind of into it. Sheriff Ron Perlman, totally into it. Well, sure. He's part of the club. Ian McShane is the only one who's absolutely horrified by all of this. What the fuck is all of this? Get your furry asses out of the woods, all right? After I kill Bigfoot and stuff him and mount him, you can come over and rub on him and dry hump him all you want. Ron Perlman comes clean. He's like, I'm one of these people. And Ian McShane whips out a gun, not a train gun, and honest to goodness gun yep and pops off a couple of shots into the air yep and it's just like all right everybody out of the furry pool tells everybody to get out of there and christina Hendricks, before she leaves she tells thomas lennon like hey if you want to come to the next meeting let me know and he's like i do and i will so you know we got another recruit we cut to michael shannon walking around in his bigfoot costume at night and it's snowing e mcshane looks over at thomas lennon and says look mr tv man do that howling thing you do and sheriff ron perlman goes with him and so they run off and during this separation of our three characters michael shannon makes his way into the mix and then ian mcshane shoots michael shannon with a tranquilizer gun but at the same time thomas lennon misfires a tranquilizer gun Mm -hmm. and they run over and they find this shitty looking bigfoot collapsed on the ground and ian mcshane lets thomas lennon think that he was the one who shot bigfoot and ian mcshane seems to see what's up right away you think yeah no because the next scene is he's like on the back of a pickup truck howling as they drive in victoriously thomas lennon is and he's like howling like sip sip crikey no i'm saying ian mcshane is the one who's like oh christ that's my buddy ian mcshane definitely knows what's up because look at it it's a plastic gorilla mask with white out and sharpie on it you know and it's a ghillie suit he's wearing reeboks for christ's sake <laughs> He's got Reeboks and they're Velcro. But you're right. Thomas Lennon is just having a ball in the back of this truck saying that he is now, you know, the most famous person in the world. Well, they put him in a body bag, too. That's a little crazy. Well, you know, it, Michael Shannon probably has some of those handy wherever he goes. <laughs> they probably pulled out of his back pocket. They were clutched in his left hand. <laughs> yeah, uh, this will come in handy. <laughs> you're going home in a body bag that's a little karate kid for you yeah you're about as clever as the writers of this movie i'm telling you they should have given me a crack at it the writer <laughs> lost after dark right here four stars on amazon prime ladies and gentlemen they put this bigfoot in the back of this truck and drive it into town and thomas lynn is just banging the top of the truck seep 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 corky we came in here with bigfoot <laughs> I, I like that that's just his war cry. Zip, zip. It's like when the Smurfs got that disease and they all turned purple and were just hopping around. Like, zip, zip, zip. I don't remember that, but okay. I thought you were going to say when they all got herpes from, you know, having sex with the only female in town, but either way. Somebody listening to this show, drop us a line somewhere on one of the social media channels to make sure that I am not crazy that there was actually an episode of the Smurfs where they got this disease. I think they had to bite each other in the tail is what infected you dear Bo. just to correct you it was the snorks and not the smurfs sincerely get your shit together <laughs> sincerely the internet 
So they bring this body bag into the town square in the back of this truck. Thomas Lennon, he just grandstands and he's like, all right, Evie, what do you get? You beak feet, all right? He unzips it and it's clearly a shitty costume. It does not look like an animal at all. But the idiots of Pottersville just gasp and clap and slap each other on the back. And then Judy Greer, ever the voice of reason and clarity, rushes in and she's like, you idiots, this is Michael Shannon. He runs the local store. You people are morons. And everyone's like, oh. And she peels off the mask like it's the denouement of a Scooby-Doo mystery. And at this point, Thomas Lennon realizes this was a hoax. Come on, man. It's a Bigfoot, you know? And yeah. <laughs> He starts screaming out at the people of Potters. He's like, eh, ain't going to see you for all you, you have. Everybody in Pottersville, even if a colony of Bigfoot shows up here, you're never going to hear about it on my show because this place is full of fakes and phonies and freaks. So Michael Shannon comes to just in time for him to be like, what's going on? And everybody's just like, you're a piece of shit. That's what's going on, Michael Shannon. Yeah. You fucked up the whole town. Yeah. Not only is Thomas Lennon going to sue us all, but you, we were a boom town for like a, a week uh-huh. or two days or however long you've been up to this, this business. Yeah. And now we're going to be sued. We're all going to be penniless again. Thomas Lennon said he's going to sue the whole town. Everyone in it. That's what he's going to do. Good going. And then someone from the crowd yells out, Christmas is ruined. I was like, what the hell does that mean? Christina Hendricks tells him to pack all his shit and leave, which I thought had already been done. This is when that old lady number one or old lady number two walks over to Michael Shannon, who is still very high on bear tranquilizers. She walks over to him and she says, I ought to stick a big foot up your ass. And that made me laugh. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody not to have a good time. So the whole town is just pissed off at Michael Shannon. Yeah. And then there's a news report about Thomas Lennon suing everybody. And the Mm -hmm. music's all sad. And then Michael Shannon goes to his old house and he gets his stuff per his soon-to-be ex-wife's demands to get the hell out. The t-shirt guys pack up all their unsold merch from the market. And then we get shots of the store shelves that are now all empty. Is this because they sold out of stuff? Is he packing things? I don't know. Yeah, I like that the hot dog, the Bigfoot dog guy is rolling his cart away as the streets empty out. The Bigfoot longs. Yeah, and Judy Greer ends up calling Ron Perlman to ask for a town meeting or whatever, and he's like, I don't know about that. I mean, everybody's pretty mad at Michael Shannon, and she's like, look, you dickheads. I've got something to say, and I'm the only one in this town that's got half his brain in her head, so we're going to have this meeting. He's like, all right, Judy Greer, I'll see what I can do. There is a scene here where the store is empty of wooden cork guns and knockoff Barbie dolls and signs that say it's five o'clock somewhere with beer and wine on it. And when you see this abandoned store, I had a moment where I thought if this movie turns out to be all in the head of an autistic kid looking at a snow globe, it may be one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Or identity style. It's all a bunch of multiple personalities warring for control inside the body of Pruitt Taylor Vince. Or it's like an 80 year old woman in like the deep stages of dementia and she's playing with dolls out in the snow with a dollhouse that's fallen apart over the many decades of her life dude here's the other thing this is called pottersville which is a clear reference to it's a wonderful life a movie that is a million times better than this one Uh but also there has been nothing vaguely it's a wonderful life like in this movie so far we get a little bit here in a minute 
it, we do, but this is the point in the movie where I'm like, wait a second, why is this called Pottersville again? Why are we making such a direct reference to It's a Wonderful Life? And to your point about this all being the dream of an autistic child or something, I was like, oh, what if this is like the alternate reality of like, oh, if you had never lived, then this asshole would have dressed like Bigfoot. And this is like the worst case scenario. And then he wakes up. He's like, I do want to live. I do want to live. I was thinking that might happen. It would have made a more sense than what happens here, which which <laughs> yes. is that news reporter from earlier. She shows up because she got nothing better to do on. I guess this is this is Christmas Eve, right? And she goes to the store and Michael Shannon is taking down that Christmas tree that you talked about earlier to let you know this is a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And she says, hi, is Michael Shannon here? And he's like, oh, Christ, are you with the cops? And she's like, no, I'm a reporter. Come inside. And then this is where we cut to Judy Greer. Again, ever the voice of reason and clarity, just yelling at the townspeople of Pottersville. And she's like, listen up, assholes. Michael Shannon loves this town and he loves each of you, which is not why he put the Bigfoot costume on by his own admission, but he did it to get his wife back. But Judy mm-hmm. Greer goes on to say, Michael Shannon's family has owned and operated the general store in this town for decades. Back to the time when blacks and the Irish weren't allowed to even shop at this store. <laughs> So let's not spend too much time on the past. We're going to talk about that present. And right now, Michael Shannon is packing up his shop because he doesn't know what else to do. And he doesn't feel like he belongs in Pottersville anymore. And then one of those Bigfoot t-shirt salesman assholes, he's like, he ruined our shot at fame and fortune and being on TV. He ruined it by pretending to be Bigfoot. And she plays the trump card of this scene, which is like, all right, you selfish assholes. How much fucking merch did you sell, you piece of shit? (laughs) Yeah, they're like, well, a lot. And she's like, yeah, did you give him even a little bit? Did you let him wet his beak at all on this? No. All right, let me ask you another question. Please don't. Here is this giant book that he has been writing, all all the shit that you have taken from his store over the years. Yeah, bunch of Because you're all a bunch of deadbeats. Yeah. (laughs) Here is the book. Now, I'm going to open it up so we can look at what all of you owe him. Oh, guess what? He never wrote anything down. Yeah, and you want to know why that is because michael shannon is a terrible businessman all right he is inept with accounting hell he doesn't understand basic arithmetic he's illiterate he can't read or write if he spells a word correctly it is purely by accident he is a functioning moron much like all of you i was sent here to look after him i get paid to be in that store to make sure he doesn't burn it down or kill any of you anymore the only thing he knows how to do is kill he kills and eats and makes other killers and that's all he does do you not understand this you idiots stacy gutierrez the reporter she's now live on christmas eve at the local market i'm here with local liar michael shannon michael what do you have to say for yourself i didn't mean to hurt anybody this time (laughs) you know but sometimes you get lucky I never meant for the Bigfoot thing to happen, but I saw Bigfoot made people happy. I think people like Bigfoot and are looking for something to believe in. Our town fell on hard times, and the magical sense of Bigfoot brought the town together. He says, (laughs) Chad, maybe hope isn't the most realistic thing. But it makes the world a better place. (laughs) What? It's nonsense, and it's a lie. And then Christina Hendricks, it turns out, has been watching all of this, and she's like, oh, my husband that isn't into the kinks that I am and that I threw out. And also, I wake up at night, and he's just staring at me, and I don't know why, and I ask him why he stared at me, and he just says, you're just so beautiful. And I don't really think that's what it is. And sometimes I just wait and watch and look for him to blink. 
and he never does. I think he's asleep when he says it and he's staring at me. He's like a reptilian, you know, one of those aliens that somehow weaved its way into our culture and is secretly <laughs> running things. I think he may be one of those. She's not the only one watching this live news report on Christmas Eve. Everybody in town is watching this because that's where they get all of their information from local 13 news on the UHF's channel. We come back to the market where Michael Shannon is planning to murder countless souls on this Christmas Eve and mm-hmm. Judy Greer throws open the door and says, Michael Shannon, I have some friends that want to talk to you. And then one by one, the citizens of Pottersville come in and apologize or something to him. And they're like, hey, Michael Shannon, you're not the creepiest guy in town. I don't think. Maybe. And they just start plunking over fistfuls of money to pay him back for all the free shit they got over the last decade or so. Yes. Is this store in need of money to stay open? I thought he was just leaving because they don't like him or Thomas Lennon was suing everybody. I mean... He's, as we pointed out, a terrible businessman so that he can't be financially solvent. That was never a thing. He, uh, it's not until Judy Greer says, hey, he's going to go out of business along with everybody else if we don't do something. That's the first time it's ever mentioned that he's in trouble because before he was just handing shit out. So, (laughs) you know, like you said, he's just either one of the most woefully horrible business people that we've ever discussed on this show. Uh Uh-huh. He's insane, which is probably accurate, or that this is just lazy screenwriting. They were like, oh, yeah, I guess we ought to pay this off. You know, with the scene from It's a Wonderful Life that makes Bo cry every year. The news reporter in the market, she calls up the TV station and she says, we need to get back on the air right now on Christmas Eve. And Bo, I worked at a TV news station once upon a time in my career. Unless this is a terrorist attack or a hostage situation, which let's be honest, this movie could deliver and nobody would be surprised. (laughs) There's no way they're just going back on the air on Christmas Eve. That one old lady who threatened to put a big foot up his ass, she apologizes for that. I like when the bank examiner gives Michael Shannon his watch to play with. I thought that was really touching. And then Judy Greer has the dumb line, God bless her, I just love her so much and I hate that she's in this movie, but uh, she says, you didn't have to become Bigfoot to save this town, Michael Shannon, you did it a long time ago just by being you. You know, inept as a businessman and poor at accounting. And then in comes Christina Hendricks and she's like, "Eh, hey, foxy guy, what are you doing later? You ought to close up a little early and come home and break the Bigfoot costume we can have freaky animal sex i'm totally willing to give it a shot with you that sounds like an interesting proposition and you know if that's why he did it in the first place yes but instead chad what happens is he says you know you were right christina hendrix and she's like i know i am and he says yeah we should split up what a rumpf and she storms off. Then he says, hey, Judy Greer, is that rain check available to come to your house and watch you make popcorn and maybe watch a movie, but I'm really just going to be watching you. Of course, Michael Shannon. And then Sheriff Ron Perlman, he holds up a bottle of sarsaparilla or some other small town, terrible tasting swill. And he says to Michael Shannon, the richest man of Pottersville. And everybody cheers. It's oh, my God. Let me just say this, okay? In defense of It's a Wonderful Life, once again, when you don't have to defend that, George, ba- shut up. When George Bailey's brother 
says, here's to my brother George, the richest man in town. It's because literal moments before, George Bailey had thrown himself off a bridge because he was worth more <laughs> dead than alive to his family. That is why the line makes sense. It's poignant. It's really heartwarming. It's a wonderful moment in the film. In this, it's just like, um, okay? I would have assumed he was the richest man in town already because everybody else couldn't pay him for basic goods and services you're just confirming what i already suspected look at everybody else in the town the yeah. reason he's the richest is because he has 18 dollars and 22 cents that was just given to him everybody else is broke because he owns what's on those shelves that puts him <laughs> head and shoulders above everyone else in the town and one presumes that he owns at least his home it's probably the banks let's be honest michael shannon looks at the two merchandise guys and he says say fellas you say people like this Bigfoot a whole lot. That gives me an idea. And we cut to Michael Shannon and Judy Greer at a bank taking out a loan. Everybody has three mortgages nowadays. <laughs> They start taking all this money to fix up the Pottersville mill. And then there's a report on Action 13 News that Thomas Lennon has been ousted from his show as the host of Monster Hunter because he's a fraud and he's not from Australia, which we already knew. Mm -hmm. And then we see the grand opening of the Pottersville Mill, which is now a Bigfoot museum mm -hmm. that literally brings in tens of dollars each day, <laughs> Yeah, well, the guy with the Bigfoot longs are back out front, so that's something, I guess. It's generating income for somebody. They've already reported that this whole thing was a bullshit hoax. Nobody's going to go to the town where somebody faked this shit, but anyway. Michael Shannon's there with Judy Greer, and then he turns around to see Ian McShane and his empty flask sitting in the pickup truck, getting drunk nearby as he does most days, and Ian McShane tries and fails to blow into a breathalyzer to turn the engine over due to a record-setting number of DUIs and a judge with a good sense of humor when it comes to sentencing alcoholics <laughs> Ian McShane doffs his cap Judy Greer says you're a good man Michael Shannon and then these two I'm gonna say I, I don't know if the word kiss is right they sort of like put their lips together <laughs> producing the kind of electric sexual passion one gets from putting two mannequin heads together and also as we've discussed there is just no ground laid for this relationship Michael Shannon caps off the dialogue in our movie by saying yeah well, what are you going to do? And then <laughs> off in the distance, there is a howl. Uh -huh. And Michael Shannon and Judy Greer turn and look off curiously. Cut to black the end. Yep, that's the end of Pottersville, all 82 minutes of it. It's a real something, man. It's head-scratching. It is truly one of the most misbegotten movies I've ever seen. It doesn't make any sense. Like I said, it's like you just threw a bunch of scenes from other movies into a blender and then stitched them together, cast it terribly, made sure that everyone was improv only nobody was doing it in an entertaining or amusing way, <laughs> slap a, a thin veneer of It's a Wonder wonderful life on top of it in the last five minutes yeah other again other than the, the name pottersville and the last moments of the movie where you just rip off another film and then you just shove it out the door into theaters and hope that somebody stumbles in drunk to watch it i guess yeah it's terrible here's the good news this is like faust love of the damned in the sense that it's like oh well i don't have 
have to worry about trying to scratch the old noodle and figure out what the worst movie we're going to talk about this season is. It's like, oh, well, this. This is the worst movie. This is one of the worst ideas for a Christmas movie. It isn't a Christmas movie. It sort of has those trappings, but not really. It's terrible. It is front to back awful. It feels like a Hallmark movie, but with less focus in actors and actresses that are head and shoulders above anyone who performs in a Hallmark. Yes. If you had had Hallmark movie quality actors and actresses in this, you and I wouldn't even be talking about it. It wouldn't even be found. I think just because of the caliber of people in this movie, Mm -hmm. it somehow has made its way into our field of vision. Yeah. And it has great performers. That's the other thing that's really infuriating about this movie is that everyone in this movie is good. They're just not good in this. Correct. It's a little bit like Batman Returns in that that movie was really elevated by the performances of the actors in that. Like It's not a very good movie, but everybody's given it their all and they were given more with which to give their all. In this, it's just garbage. It's bad, but it's bad in a way that we haven't really seen on this podcast before. It's over on Netflix if you got nothing better to do and you've watched everything else they have. Check it out. It's oh, it's so bad. But Chad, yes, we can redeem ourselves still. Like this is a total piece of trash movie. But for the next episode, I propose we watch something that is going to be wonderful in all the right terrible ways. Let me have it. You know who we haven't talked about much on this show in the past, Chad? Dwayne the Rock Johnson. No one. Tr- Jesus Christ. I say Jesus a lot. Paul Stanley. No, we've definitely talked about Paul Stanley. Orville Redenbacher. And we've also talked about or- Orville Redenbacher quite a bit. Frank. Caliendo. I'm going to stop you right there and just say one Charles Norris. That's right. The actor, in quotes, who knows some kind of kung fu and was also a Texas Ranger on television. Mm-hmm. He has not graced this show before. No. And so we are going to shoehorn one of his efforts into our Christmas Time is Here season with the Christmas adjacent Invasion USA. It's got everything you want. Not only Charles Norris, but it's got Richard Lynch is in it. Billy yep. Drago uh-huh. is in it. It's directed by the guy who did The Prowler and Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter. What? That's the best one of the bunch. It is the best one of the bunch. He did the the original Missing in Action with Chuck Norris. This guy knows his way around a schlock movie. And I, for one, could not be more excited to let him be our tour guide for the next episode of Pick 6 Movies. So, hey, Bo. Yes. You want to know a secret? Please. I've, I've watched half that movie, and there's a whole bunch of swamp boats in Florida. How on <laughs> earth are we not going to have a great time with this? It's going to be much better than this and that's our christmas eve movie so if you have nothing better to do on christmas eve you can listen to that episode avoid your family just smile and nod and have a wonderful merry christmas with chuck norris protecting these united states of america from terrorists who are invading usa hence the title invasion usa i can't (laughs) wait this has legitimately got me very excited about the next episode especially coming off of a real drag like pottersville which i'm glad we did i'm glad that we've seen this movie i'm glad we discussed it because it is so head scratching again we just talked about a movie that had furries and big feet and drunken ian mcshane's <laughs> and michael shannon almost murdering everyone in a town like all of that happens in the movie people getting shot 
out with tranquilizer guns. You put all that on paper, it sounds like a good time, but it's not. That's the problem. Whereas Invasion USA sounds like a typical run-of-the-mill action movie, but already you're promising me fan boats in the Everglades. And I know for a fact that they blow up a neighborhood Mm -hmm. that was scheduled for demolition. So we get honest-to-goodness houses exploding. You're going to have a good time. We're going to have a good time. Everyone's going to have a good time. It's going to be a Merry Christmas for everyone so as always like great review send us an email pick six movies at gmail.com tell a friend you can find us on social media we love to hear from everybody uh Bo, as always any final thoughts on ugh, pottersville will you just throw the soup can at my head already so i can forget that this ever happened oh hey <laughs> pottersville it's all right there on netflix <laughs> Every time somebody gets hit on the head with a can of soup, a Bigfoot gets tranked. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Come back and see us in two weeks' time, and we will have Invasion USA wrapped up with a bow, ready for you to celebrate this holiday season with yet another Christmas-adjacent movie. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>